Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Hey, everybody. Welcome to all of our campuses, all of you watching online. So good to be with you guys today. How many feeling good? Uh, it's a beautiful day. How many? We had a great spring, man. It's been beautiful. Um, hey, let me just remind you next week, uh, our quarter ending for our Prosper uh, quarter giving. And uh, man, I invite you to join us. Uh, that thing, hopefully sometime this summer, we'll be in that building. So Prosper Campus, shout out to you guys. Very excited about that. We're going to have a big celebration. But I invite you to join us financial if you can, to, to just be a part of that and, uh, and see what God's going to do through that campus and through uh, the people who attend in that area. Um, it, we're in a series called Confessions. That's what the, the video was about. And, and I think there are many of us who, if we were put under or on a lie detector test, there might be some things we might get nervous about. Might, might be some things that we might have to confess that we weren't planning on or, or whatever. And so in this series, that's what we've kind of tried to do a little bit, just bring up subjects that have been difficult for us as people to navigate, as believers to navigate uh, over the last few weeks uh, we've talked about anxiety. Toby Slough came and talked. How many were here for that? Man, wasn't that awesome? Good night. He was, he was great. Just helping us understand how to navigate, not just trying to get over it, but what can God do through it? Powerful, powerful. That was a great week. Uh, week two, last week, Robert, he, uh, he talked about doubt, did a great job, but here's what I heard. I got two emails uh, about this, uh, this past week. First of all, uh, John, have you stopped smoking crack? <laughs> Out of the blue, and I had not watched the, 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 the message yet. And, and I was like, uh, question mark? And uh, I obviously, Pastor Robert in his message said that uh, I was on crack when I hired him. So um, uh, the answer to that is no. It's been years since I've smoked crack. So no, I'm kidding, <laughs> kidding. And, and then, then he, then he talked about Popeyes over Chick-fil-A. We do not talk about stuff like that here at Hope. So I'm going to apologize to all my Chick-fil-A owners and operators. <clears throat> I love you. You know that we love, we love all equally. Okay. Week three, today, <clears throat> I want to talk about the American church. And, and here's what I mean by that. I think that if I were to confess something, you know, corporately, uh, not just for hope, although hope would be included, is that I am concerned for the American church. Now, do I believe there's hope? Do I believe that God is going uh, to bring revival to us and renewal? Yes. But I do think there are some areas of concern that we need to talk about. The, the Apostle Paul, most of what he wrote wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and most of that were to churches that he had established or that had already been established, and of course he brought encouragement, of course he brought theological foundations for us to live by and to understand our relationship through Christ to the Father, but he also, in, a, in all of those letters, brought correction, <clears throat> brought a little bit of, hey guys, let, let's think about this, here's what's going on, here's what you're doing, here's what I hear. Um, we need to change some things. What would he say to the American church? 
And, and that's my heart for today. It's not to, you know, get us in a headlock and make us feel bad. It's just really to, to encourage us and to challenge us in areas of our lives personally. So don't just look at this as, oh yeah, the church does need to get better with this. The church does need to speak out about this or whatever. I'm talking about our lives. I want you to take this personally. In other words, when I say that, I don't mean offensively. I just mean I want you to internalize it to say, God, what are you speaking to me? What are you speaking to me? Here's where we're going to go today. I'm going to talk about three areas of concern that I have that really encapsulate a lot of stuff. I've got a lot of information. I'm going to try to move through it quickly. And then we're going to just pray that God would move in our hearts and that God would change our lives. Start right here, that circle that we talked about in January. Draw a circle around yourself and pray that God would move. Pray that God would change me before I'm praying that he's going to change you or pray, praying that he's going to change America or praying, praying that he's going to change the world. Let's start right here. And if all of us start right here, man, you talk about revival. You talk about things happening. So that's where we're going today. <clears throat> Let me talk about the three things. I'm going to just give them up front, the three areas of concern. Number one, the resistance to the authority of Scripture. I think that's a, that's a challenge for us. Number two, a commitment to division. <clears throat> Excuse me for my voice. I think there are areas of the local church that are just absolutely committed to be divided. And in some ways, that's the gospel, right? The gospel is offensive. And I know that that divides us between the world and those who don't believe and to those of us who believe. <clears throat> but I'm talking about inside the local church. We have committed ourselves to division. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And then number three, fans but not followers of Jesus. But not followers of Jesus. So when we think about this, these areas of concern, I, I want us to start with where I believe most of this is built upon. And that is, number one, the resistance to the authority of Scripture. Now, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about when I talk about this. <clears throat> but the next generation, in large numbers, <clears throat> as it relates to their faith, they're walking away from the church they grew up in and they are questioning a lot of things, but number one or two or three, they're questioning the authority of Scripture. And once we get to that point, it's a downhill sliding of moral chaos, standards that go out the window, and it becomes a, what's ever right in my own eyes, that's what, I, what's, that's what I'm going to do. Whatever I feel like doing, that's what I'm going to do. And the challenge that I have is to really, for those of us who may struggle with, hey, John, you know what? That, I'm glad you brought that up because I struggle with that. I read scripture and it doesn't line up with the way in which I want to live my life. Well, join the club. Scripture is combative. Scripture is challenging. So I want to give you, I want to start off with, I'm going to just put a big slide up, and I want you to take a picture if you can, and I want you to look at some BibleStudyTools.com. That's where you go, BibleStudyTools.com, and I want you to look at all of some, some reasons why 
I believe and that we believe that Scripture is the authority by which we live. Many of us have not ever discovered, researched how the Bible came together. Why do we believe that it is authoritative? Why do we preach it as God's word? And, and if you've struggled with that, I think these, these, this is one of the tools I want to give you. I'll give you two more. And there's many of them, many of them. But BibleStudyTools.com, internal evidence all through there, and external evidence. I'm not even going to go through there because there's too much time. But I want to give you two more resources that I've given to you before. Haley's Bible Handbook, which is a great resource, just a quick, quick uh, commentary on Scripture. And then it tells you how the Bible was put together. Why, does it, why do I believe, for instance, as I have researched this for years, how did the Bible come together? Many just think uh, the Catholic Church put it together in the early, you know, three or four or five hundreds, or it just kind of came together some, I don't know, I don't really don't know how it came together. Well, I think you should learn how it came together. Every writer is from the first century and had personal contact with Jesus, every writer. There was a criteria, there was a standard that any book of the Bible in the New Testament, Old Testament was already put together at this time, but the Hebrew Bible, but there was a standard by which the New Testament letters, New Testament gospels or epistles were put together. It wasn't arbitrary. There was years of debate, years of prayer coming together. The East Church, Greek Orthodox, the West Church, which became the Catholic Church, coming together, debating, and they didn't really agree on everything, but what came out of that years later, 300 and some odd AD, was a New Testament book that consisted of the, the, the books that we have in the New Testament plus the, 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 the books in the Old Testament, 66 in all. And Haley's Bible Handbook gives us that. And then Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell goes deeper into that. I mean, answers almost every question. Josh, in the, in, when he was in college at the University of Michigan, was doing a paper to discredit, to disprove the Bible as Scripture. And he became a believer while doing it. That's how important, that's how important that we as believers understand why it is that we take Scripture as authority. And when you take Scripture out of authority, it directly influences our obedience to the Lord and our standard for living. It automatic, when you take the authority out of the scripture, you say, hey, I'm gonna live my own life, and I love the part about Jesus, but the rest of it, man, I don't like that. Well, you've taken out the standard of living that you're gonna live while you're on this earth, and you've taken out your ability to obey God as he's, as he's uh, told us and, and instructed us to live. That's, that's how important this is. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12 says it this way, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between what we want and between what God wants, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize. Now, I understand. Let me just caveat this. Understand that as Paul's writing this, New Testament wasn't put together. Okay? There wasn't like these books, the Gospels, and then they, they were all letters being circulated around the, the early church in the first, second, third centuries. He's writing this about the Old Testament, so I understand that. 
I understand that. But the power that is, that is here in, in how he describes even the Old Testament, which we don't live by the Old Testament, the, Jesus accomplished or fulfilled the law. So we're not trying to get right with God by, by accomplishing or living our lives by the Old Testament. So I want to free you from that. However, here's what Paul says about it. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us what is right. Now, this is important. Now, on the other side of this, on the other side of this, so we read just two scriptures. Word of God is powerful, and it exposes who we really are. In other words, it, it, as we read it, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this, if you, as you've read the New Old Testament, and you go, wow, man, I, I struggle with greed, or I struggle with this attitude, or I struggle with lust, or I struggle with what, whatever it is, right? Jealousy, not forgiving, all those things. Those, that exposes, the Word of God exposes us for who we really are and what we need to change. It corrects it rebukes. However, here's what's happened over the last 1,700 years as the scripture has come together. And by the way, there was no, 1,700 years ago when they put this, uh, the New Testament together, there wasn't like a handbook, like, oh, here, here you go. Here's the New Testament now. That came in the 1500s when, the, when they printed it. And, it. and not everybody had one. It was, the Bible was such a, a rare commodity to have in your home now, many of us have 10 lying around. We don't read any of them. But back then, uh, just kind of joking, kind of. But back then, they didn't have this. They were read at, at church. They were read when you came together. And the power of the gospel and the power of the word of God is, is really, really incredible. However, let me put some things on the screen that I think are going to help us. When we use scripture as a hammer or a weapon against each other or the world, we lose our ability to influence their lives. And many times over the, the last, you know, 12, 1300 years or even less than that, as we've had Bibles that, that we read at home, we read at work, we can now, we have them on our phones, we have them on our tablets, we have them everywhere. There are times in which we just kind of post something on social media we just kind of post something or we just kind of use something as pastors, as preachers over the, over the centuries. And we've used the word of God as a weapon to get people in a headlock, to, to make them feel really, really bad about themselves. And, and, and I'm going to just tell you something, that works for just a little while. And it works on some personalities. But in general, that does not work. We lose influence when we do that. Let me repeat that. We lose influence. When we use the word of God as a weapon or a hammer, we lose influence. Now, let me put something else on the screen that I think is gonna help. When we use it, the word of God, as a standard for living, and then we actually endeavor to live by it, it provides us the power to gain influence. Now, here's what I mean by that. First Peter gives us a great um, uh, I mean, uh, just a, a great picture of this being lived out, First Peter. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. I'm just going to leave that right there. I could get into that rabbit hole, but I won't. 
but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then, if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it's better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. In other words, wrong attitudes, using the word as a weapon rather than a standard for living. And my point here is that when they see the way that we live, there is, an, there is like a, wow, there's something about you. And that's what I, and listen, I know it's easy to criticize history. But in many ways, what we have done and the reason, hear me out and hear my heart. I'm not trying to be weird. But the reason that we, the church in general, has, has lost influence is because we've gone about this thing, in my opinion, we've gone about this thing all wrong. We're, we're trying to push our scripture on people who don't believe. And it's, wrong, it's great to preach the gospel. But when we use it as a weapon, people are just like, you know what? First of all, I see the way you live. I, I see the way you live, and I don't want any part of that. And then you're trying to tell me how to live when you don't even live the way you're trying to, you know, you know what I'm saying? And, and, it, and it does this ending, and we, over the years, listen, over the years, we have lost and lost and lost and lost and lost and lost and lost influence. Generation after generation after generation, it's not because the word's not powerful, it's because we're using it in the wrong way, in my opinion. We're using it in the wrong way. But that doesn't mean we as believers don't look at ourselves, read scripture, and say, I don't line up. I need to, I need to be accountable. And, and in, the, in the church, in the body of Christ, in the context of relationship, yes, we hold each other accountable. That's why, I, that's why I teach the way I teach. That's why you're in small groups or Bible studies or classes. When you hear something or, or somebody's in, 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 in really good relationship with you, then that's when there's correction. That's when there's rebuking. That's when there's a, hey, John, can I have, a, can I have lunch with you? Man, I've noticed this about something going on, and, and man, can I help in any way? I, I just feel like you're, you're going this way or whatever, right? I've had that happen to me. And I, I can either say, well, who do you think you are? Or I can say, wow, what is the Holy Spirit trying to tell me through the Word of God? Does that make sense what I'm saying? The authority of Scripture, I think we're challenged by this, and I think the reason why we're challenged by this is because we've gone about it maybe in a way that we've lost influence. Let's live the life and let's let our lives begin the, the, the conversation. And then we say, well, the reason I live this way is because here's what scripture tells me. And then there's a power that comes with that. Now, the second thing, I gotta hurry. The second thing is we are, I believe, in some pockets, in some areas of the body of Christ, committed to division. Now, this has always been in the church. Doesn't matter. It was in the disciples. It was in the early church. Anytime you get people together, right? More than one person together, there's going to be an issue. Because we are like that. We have ways in which we think. We have agendas or, or we have, uh, you know, maybe dogmatic thoughts or, or whatever. And so anytime you put people together, the early church uh, struggled with this. And, and we through the years of Christianity have struggled with division in a variety of ways, theologically. 
there's definitely different ways to look at Scripture. And I don't agree with all of them, but I understand that there are different ways. And I have great friends in this city that pastor great churches, and I don't align with them on every little thing. They have every right to be wrong, and and when we're in the context of relationship, I will rebuke and correct them. However, I understand that I have a way in which I have interpreted Scripture and which I have learned and studied, and they have a way, you know, but, but there, there can be a unity even within the diversity, theologically speaking. I don't have to get upset at somebody because they don't believe exactly the way I believe. And, and by the way, I don't know, I'm in this world, I'm in the church world, so I, I guess on my Twitter feed or, or on my social media, there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of things that come up. And I am amazed and actually disappointed and discouraged when I read the amount of people feeling the need to call everybody out for this or for that. Hey, I'm going to post this about this church. Did you hear what he said? Did you hear what she said? Do you, do you believe that they allowed a woman to teach? I mean, it goes on and on. Right there, listen to me. And I, if you disagree with me, I understand. But in my opinion, boy, that is, the world is looking at that going, yep, don't want any of that. They can't even love each other. And Jesus said, when you have love for one another, that's how the world will know that God sent me. They will know that you are believers because you love one another. I don't agree with all the points of Calvinism, but it doesn't mean I have to call them out in, in, on social media and say, hey, I don't believe that, and that's ridiculous, that's unscriptural, they're heretics. No, that's what they did in the 1500s and 1600s. They burned people at the stake for trying to get the word of God out. Guys, we, in some ways, theological, we're committed to division. We're committed to division racially. I mean, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable and it's the enemy. I totally understand it. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But we have been divided on this for years and years. And let me just make this as plain as I can make it. If you're Hispanic, if you're Asian, if you're black, if you're African American, if you're Caucasian, if you're whatever, we are one at the foot of the cross. We are one. Equal. Equal. And, and for, for, for white people to not have compassion on what goes on and what's transpired over the last two or 300 years is unthinkable to me that you would have that kind of pride and that kind of arrogance, and let me just say it, racism, that you can't have compassion and, and have conversations. That's why today at our McKinney campus at three o'clock, we do cookies and conversations. Let me put it on the screen cookies and conversations. This is when we get together with people who don't look like us, maybe have a different skin color, maybe a different background culturally or whatever, and we get together and have conversations. We call this the unity table most of the time when we invite you on the fifth Sunday of every month, when there are five Sundays in the month, we invite you to invite somebody who doesn't look like you to have lunch or dinner and have a conversation. Let me just say, we're not trying to solve the world's problems politically at this conversation, so don't get nervous. All we're doing is hearing stories, talking about, hey, how can we get to know, and I've done this every time. 
I have done unity table every single time. I've invited someone who doesn't look like me, hey, let's go to lunch or let's have dinner with my wife or whatever. And we get together and we just hear their story. And let me just tell you, the more you do that, the more you sit across the table and you hear somebody's story, the more you understand. The more we listen rather than speak, the more we understand. And, and, and many of us on all sides, we walk in fear. We walk in like, I don't know what the agenda is. I don't know. Well, let's have a conversation. Let's not be divided on this issue. Of all the people on the planet who should be walking in unity, whatever the color, it's believers. We've been divided politically. How many are nervous right now? <laughs> We're divided politically on a, on a variety of issues. And, and, you know, during the COVID years, that, that racial, political, uh, medical, those years uh, were challenging uh, for all of us, challenging for organizations, challenging for, challenging for companies, challenging for businesses, challenging for the church. You're lucky I'm still here because you guys were insane. <laughs> and I'm not joking. Man, if we asked people to wear masks, we had people leave our church because we asked people, hey, it would be a good idea to wear a mask. And if I didn't ask people, if I made it optional, we had people leave our church because you don't care about our health. And I get it. I understand both sides. I really do. I understand the political. I have, I have ideas. I have thoughts about it. But here's the deal. As believers, can I just tell you, the people of the, in the world are watching us. And how we handled those years, I'm going to be honest, how we handled those years on social media, how we handled those years racially, how we handled those years politically was embarrassing. And we were committed, and I know I'm being serious. Some of you brought a friend, you're like, I'm sorry, he usually doesn't do this. <laughs> but it was an embarrassment to the body of Christ. And I know some of you are going to send me emails, and that's fine. They go to God, so don't even expect a response. <laughs> Not doing it. Not going to engage with craziness. Where was I? What was I talking about? How many know when I get, start getting irritated? With, I guess I, I start getting frustrated. Okay, let me just go to Scripture. Let me just go to Scripture. John, because it doesn't matter what I say, really. It matters what Jesus says. I am praying not only for these disciples, the, the current 12 disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message, which is us. I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. That's what Jesus prayed. How many believe that's unrealistic? Raise your hand. <laughs> I know you're not gonna raise your hand. Who would disagree with Jesus? But many of us would raise our hand in the way that we have lived the last few years because we don't believe that's possible. And I'm gonna get my thing out there because I believe this and I'm, good, great, I'm glad. I hope you get influenced, but I doubt it. In the church, it doesn't mean we don't have views. It doesn't mean we don't have uh, thoughts. It doesn't mean we don't get involved in political matters or racial matters or theological matters or, you know, whatever. But the way in which we do it, I believe the church, we should answer the prayer of Jesus that we would be one just as you and me, Father, are one. And I am in you. you may they, and may they be in us so that the, listen to this, 
This is the reason, not so that we can sing kumbaya. The reason is so that the people, the world, will believe you sent me. When the church is one, when we understand diversity is healthy, when we understand that music styles are healthy, if you like this kind of style, awesome. If you like choirs or if you like uh, pipe organs, no problem. If you don't like any music, no problem. That's whatever style you want. I can agree, I can agree to disagree, or I can just say, hey, yeah, there's a great church. If, you, if this isn't the church for you, hell, to come to me. I'll help you find one. But there's, there's, there's diversity in the body of Christ for a reason, but not disunity. It doesn't have to be that way. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought. Why? Because of purpose. Philippians chapter one, uh, 2, verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit, are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. I don't know how much clearer scripture needs to be for the body of Christ. But here's what we've decided to do, and this is what I mean by committed to, to uh, division. Let me just throw them on the screen quickly. Judgment over grace, being right over being loving, anger and aggression over the fruit of the Spirit, politics over people, division over unity, power over accountability, speaking over listening, convenience over compassion. Guys, we got to fight against this. Jesus, when he looked at Jerusalem, he wept because they were lost. They were sheep without a shepherd. Paul said, I become all things to all people so that, I met, so that I might win some. Now, I understand that we're not gonna agree politically in the church. Totally understand that. I understand that we're not gonna agree theologically. Totally understand that. And I agree that we're not gonna agree stylistically. But here's some areas that we can't agree. And I'll, I'll move on past this, okay? So here's some areas that I think are important. The first one is this. The gospel, the way in which we become right with God is Christ alone. We can come into agreement on that. The great commission, which is sharing the gospel with the world or with unbelievers. We can be committed and we can walk in unity with this. And then the third is the great commandment. Love God, love each other, love your neighbor. This is, this is we can we can all agree, and if you can't agree with this, I don't know if you know Jesus. I'm not saying that judgmentally necessarily. I'm just saying, if you can't agree on this, I'm not sure you're following the same Jesus I'm following. I know this is serious. I know, hey, John, you've been gone two weeks. What's, what is up? <laughs> I, I am concerned. I am concerned for the American church but more specifically, I'm concerned about hope. Not because I'm mad, or, and sometimes I get frustrated, and you get frustrated with me, and that's okay, we, we, that's fine. But I get frustrated because of one thing, and that's because we lose our influence. Because we're getting off on other things beside the gospel. We're getting off on other things in our mission. 
And we're getting off on other things in the great commandment. What's the most important thing Jesus said? Love God and love your neighbor. That's the most important thing you could do. Guys, you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. You can solve all the mysteries of the world. You can bring healing and miracles, but if you don't have love, you are a noisy, it'd be, it'd be like I went around the drum shield and I just got the sticks and started banging on those cymbals while I'm talking. And I wish I, I, wish I could do that right now because that would be fun. Just, just bang on those cymbals while I'm talking. That's what it's like when you, when you speak, when you argue, when you post without love. That's what it's like. No influence. You think you have influence. You think you're making it a point. Can I just tell you, you're not an Old Testament prophet. So get over yourself, right? All right, okay, that's enough. Okay, now let's talk about something better. Let's talk about something better. Not better, but uh, and just as important. Fans but not followers of Jesus. Okay, this is serious too. Okay. <laughs> Fans but not followers of Jesus. Luke chapter nine, I've read this probably eight times in the last six months to you. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own life. Another translation says, put aside your selfish ambition. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you yourself are lost and destroyed? Let me give you some key words about this. Key phrases, this is give up, give up your own life. If you hang on to it, you're gonna lose it. You're gonna be lost or destroyed. Fans of Jesus like him Fans of Jesus like his teaching in a general way. But fans of Jesus aren't ready to give up their life, their selfish ambition, their greed. Fans of Jesus are trying to hang on to their lives rather than surrender them. Fans of Jesus will lose their lives. And fans of Jesus perhaps will be lost and destroyed. But followers give up their life. They don't try to hang on. They won't lose it. They will find it, and they won't be lost or destroyed. Luke chapter 6, Jesus says it like this. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I'm just going to stop right there. Why, why do you call me Lord when you don't do what I say? And I think, and, and I'm not, I know this is not for hope, because hope, all of you are followers of Jesus but I'm really talking to some of the churches around us that need some help. You know, I'm kidding. Why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then you don't do what I say? You're like, here's what he goes on to say. You're like building your home on going to the beach. And a lot of you like to go to the beach and just picture the beach, the sand on the beach, the, the waves come, it's beautiful. You come in and then you just build a house right on that sand. You just start the walls right on that sand. Can I just tell you, how many know what's gonna happen? It's washed away, washed away. You're gonna get, why is no foundation? But if you build your house on the rock, the winds come, the tornadoes, the, the water rises, but your house stands firm because it's built on the rock. What he means by this is when, you, when we listen to what Jesus says, 
when we put into practice what Jesus says, when we really follow what Jesus says, our house is strong. When we're fans of Jesus, we build it on sand. We build it on, yeah, we really like Jesus at Easter and Christmas. We really like Jesus as a principal, man. He's awesome. Great teacher. But I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. And that goes back to the authority of Scripture. It goes back to the authority of Scripture. Why do I call him Lord, Lord, if I'm just going to do whatever I want? Let me put one more thing on the screen. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Guys, let me just challenge you to be encouraged, not discouraged, but to be encouraged. I I, I feel like in my own life, not just yours, but in my own life, calling us to consider the authority of Scripture, and where is that in our lives? To consider a commitment to division, mean-spirited, dogmatic, judgmental. I'm telling you, to consider, are we a fan or a follower of Jesus? I think it matters. I know it matters. And maybe you're here today and and you've not ever surrendered your life to Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you used to be in church for a long time and you you got disillusioned in church. You you left for a variety of reasons. Maybe you got hurt. Somebody did something crazy. And I'm not excusing anything, any kind of abuse or craziness or sin, but I'm just saying something happened and, and you left and walked away from the church. But you're here. Maybe, maybe today, I hope that you can hear Jesus inviting you to the table once again. He loves you. He loves this world. He came to die for the sins of the world. And and if you're here today and you've never accepted what he's done for you, I invite you to do that today, whatever campus, wherever online you may be watching. I invite you to accept Jesus today. And if you're a believer today, and there are some things about division that you have been a part of. Maybe you're a believer today and you didn't really look at it as a fan or a follower. You're just like, wow, I never looked at it that way. Man, I'm, I think there's more times I'm a fan and I'm that way too. In, in my actions, not in my thoughts, in my heart, I want to be a follower. But sometimes we fall into the category of just a fan. And I want to challenge you to think of that through in your life. So I want you to bow your heads and let's pray together. If you're here today and, and, and you need to cross that line of faith, you need to just say, Lord, I've been away for a long time, but it's time for me to come back. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Whatever campus, wherever you are online or here at East, if you just raise your hand and say, John, pray for me because I need to, I need to cross that line. I need to accept what Jesus has done for me. Yes. Yeah, anybody else? Yeah, anybody else? Just say, yes, thank you. I'm ready to step across that line. Yeah. I won't ask you to raise your hands on this one, but many of us as believers fall into the category of some of these concerns, and myself included. 
And I pray that, Lord, you would convict our hearts, challenge us, speak to us. Any of the things that I said that, that were distracting away from what you've said, I pray that many of us, I, I pray that, that we'd all forget that and we just center on what you've said. Lord, change us. Start with me. Draw that circle. Start with me. And help me to follow you more closely. Help us to follow you more closely. We pray for the church in America. God, I pray for pastors and leaders and teachers. I I pray for people. I pray for all of us. That we would surrender to the lordship of Jesus. And in thus doing, gain influence by those around us for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.